afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me this week, by the way. This is Thanksgiving week, and we've we've gone back to, to history class. I just felt like we wanted to, that I wanted to talk about maybe a history of, of Thanksgiving and the pilgrims that maybe you did know but had forgotten, or maybe some things that you just didn't know altogether. The I, I don't think there's a there's a value that we can place on history. Uh, I don't think there is a high enough value. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It, history is priceless. When when presented accurately, when presented truthfully, history can be priceless. To learn about where you came from to learn about your foundations, to learn about the the beliefs and the philosophies uh, of our ancestors, to me is one of the most important things we can do. It's one of the most important things we can study. It, it really is one of the most important things we can learn about. Where do we come from? Where, uh, you know, what what's the makeup of, of our foundation? As a country, what's the makeup of our foundation? Because today we're told one thing. We're, we're told that, and this idea is repeated everywhere across the landscape, that that the country, its founding was evil. Its founding was rooted in slavery, and, and that's it. Uh, and, and there's nothing good about it. When, in fact, that was, that was not what the pilgrims were about. The, the pilgrims were about searching for a place that would offer them civil and religious liberty. Those two things, that's what they were on the hunt for. And we and so I, I spent a lot of time this week diving into the culture that they were attempting to escape and and how that how that culture began, how the <laughs> tyranny of the monarchy started and uh, and, and so I had a lot of fun this week. I, I have had fun diving into it. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. And so here we are today, and I think I think today we can wrap it up. Oh, I hope we can wrap it up. You know what? We're never going to be able to wrap it up because there's just too much. And, you know, even in even in going as deep as we've gone, I've, I've we could have gone deeper. It was certainly you can you can spend you can spend more time than than just five hours uh, you know when you when you look at it in the grand scheme of of time you know well, you know by the time we're done today it's only going to be five hours and that's not a lot that's not a lot to dive into my hope is that we can get beyond the you know minutia of of just names and dates in just I mean, the timeline is important, and the names of the people are important, but really, what's most important is the stories, because these stories describe the fabric of our country. The stories describe the fabric of these individuals. Uh, you know, Bradford and Brewster and, um, you know, today we're going to get into Samoset and Squanto. You know, we're going to learn about these people, Chief Massasoit, uh, and and their stories, 
are so intriguing. And there's there's horrible things that happen to these people, yet um, yet they they rose, they they triumphed, they um, they uh, were able to overcome obstacles, and still help those around them. The stories are fantastic. The whole the whole the whole history here to me is just it's just amazing. So we left off really with, with the Pilgrims landing and enduring that first winter uh, with over, well, I, I don't know over, but right about half of their population did not make it through the winter. 102 of them got off the boat, got off Mayflower, and only half of them made it. And in the springtime, the Mayflower was about ready to make its way back to England. And not a single one of those surviving pilgrims said, I want to get back on that boat. I can't handle this. This is horrible. You know, so-and-so has died and this person's died. We don't have any place to live and there's not enough food to eat and, and yada, 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 yada. Not a single one of them had that thought. And, and that to me is just speaks of their perseverance. That alone, right there, if that was the end of the story, that speaks volumes. It, it tells me that they truly wanted to have an opportunity to be in a place where they could experience religious liberty and civil liberty, just freedom. They had this opportunity to form their own government. That's what the Mayflower Compact was. We read it yesterday, or just a portion of it. Uh, they they had this they had this chance, and they were um, they were excited to do it. At one point during that winter, only five or six of them were healthy, and it was that five or six that took care of the rest. Um, night and day took care of them because they believed in in something more. They believed in something deeper than just themselves. While they were there for themselves, they were not selfish. They were there for each other. And they were there for their children. They were there for posterity, to start something, to establish something. And then that spring, they had their first encounter with the natives. In Europe, they had heard uh, dreadful tales of the savagery and barbaric behavior of the natives, so they were understandably afraid a little bit. But despite their concerns, that first contact passed without incident. Not long afterwards, a solitary wandering Indian named Samoset approached their their dwellings. He, he approached their camp. And to their amazement, he spoke somewhat uh, broken English. He explained to them that he had learned the language from English explorers and fishermen who occasionally visited the coast. Samoset informed the pilgrims that the Potoxet, a fierce warring people recently wiped out by a strange plague, previously inhabited the land on which the pilgrims now lived. So they they, they show up. The pilgrims ended up being on this, this land where a fierce, savage tribe once lived the Patoxet, but a plague had swept through and wiped this tribe out. 
um, due to the devastating nature of the epidemic, neighboring tribes then were now afraid to come to that land. They were afraid to come near it. Uh, they believed that some great supernatural spirit had destroyed the people there and might also kill them. The land was therefore left abandoned and opened until the pilgrims, unaware of the former plague, arrived. It's almost as if it was waiting on them. Samoset warned the pilgrims that any Indians they encountered were likely to be hostile. This disposition was in part a reaction to an English ship captain attached to the Virginia colony, who had previously visited the region and kidnapped natives to sell into slavery. The pilgrims learned much from Samoset, and consistent with their biblical character, they treated him as a friend. He eventually departed, promising to bring some of the neighboring Wampanoag Indians to visit them. True to his word, a few days later, Samoset returned with Chief Massasoit, chief of the tribe, and uh, some of his men. After making a peace treaty with the pilgrims, Chief Massasoit and his men returned home. Among the Indians had been Squanto. He was a surviving member of the violent Patoxet tribe on whose land the pilgrims were now living. And in, in his book, The American Story, uh, uh, David Barton makes, uh, he, he has this footnote. And, and, and by the way, this week, if you're interested in exploring deeper in, in the pilgrims or even in American history in general, uh, the, the books that I reference, the first uh, one of them is The American Story by David and Tim Barton, and you can get that book at Wall Builders. Uh, another book that I've referenced is The Treacherous World of the 16th Century and How the Pilgrims Escaped It. That book is written by William J. Federer. Two excellent uh, resources for you. In, in his book, The American Story, uh, David Barton makes this footnote. One of the reasons the pilgrims made such good neighbors was that they purchased the land on which they lived from the Indians and continued to do so as they expanded their colony. In each case, they did so at a mutually agreed upon price and received written documentation of sale for those purchased lands. This policy of buying land from natives came to characterize the general practice of New England and portions of the mid-Atlantic colonies being mirrored also by the Puritans in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, as well as with others in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. New Hampshire, New Jersey, and New York also followed the practice. Uh, and then he goes on to note that wall builders owns one of the nation's largest private collections of founding era materials containing over 100,000 originals or copies of original documents written or printed before 1812. Among these holdings are multiple original signed deeds in which natives willingly and voluntarily sold their land to settlers. But, but we don't hear that. In today's history, we hear that the English arrived and they stole the land from the Indians. Now that happened. In, in, in some cases, absolutely that happened. But in other cases, it didn't. And in the case of the pilgrims, it did not. 
there was a there was a free exchange of land where it was purchased, and uh, Wall Builders owns uh, some of these deeds. Uh, he he continues here in his footnote. Among these holdings are multiple original signed deeds in which natives willingly and voluntarily sold their land to settlers. One example is an Indian deed dated February 9, 1769, and signed by four native leaders from the uh, Akwakagi tribe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. They sold 300,000 acres or nearly 470 square miles of land to settlers in New York. The land area sold by the Indians in just this one transaction was the equivalent of modern Los Angeles or San Antonio. It was larger than modern New York City and seven times larger than modern Washington, D.C. Another deed from March 12, 1664 transferred 1,000 acres of land from eight Wappinger leaders to two English settlers in New York in the area that is now the Bronx. There are hundreds of such deeds legitimately transferring land by mutual agreement and purchase from various native tribes to the uh, colonists or to the settlers. Yeah, you know, but that's not something that's that's ever talked about. I mean, you don't you don't ever hear that version of the story. Huh? And they say the left will say we got to tell both sides of the story. We got to tell the good, and we've got to tell the bad. But we're just going to tell the bad, and even those parts of the bad we're going to make up. I mean, they don't make up all the parts, but a lot of them they do. A lot of them are just flat out lies. And the fact that that they continue to say and repeat that the colonists came over and the settlers came over and all they did was steal the land. They stole the land, they stole the land, they stole the land. But they don't ever tell you in many instances and in many places they did not steal the land. That the Native Americans uh, sold the land to them at a price that they all agreed upon. And they were happy to do it. Oh, I love history and I love it when it's told accurately. All right, so uh, Massasoit comes to them, and uh, and 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 one of his one of his tribe is an Indian by the name of Squanto. Squanto was a surviving member of the violent Patoxet tribe on whose land the Pilgrims were now living. He was the he was the the one lone survivor, and his story is just well. We're going to get into it. When Massasoit and his men left, Squanto stayed. Unexpectedly to the pilgrims, he spoke fluent English and was well-versed in English thinking and customs and adopted the pilgrims as his own family. Here he is a member of this of this former violent tribe that would just as soon wipe you off the planet than, than look at you. Uh, he wants to stay with the pilgrims, and he adopts them as his own family. He showed them how to thrive in the new land, teaching them to hunt, to fish, to raise crops. It was as if Squanto had a special assignment to keep the pilgrims alive. They became his sole focus. So if you think providentially, it, it's, it, it almost feels that way. It, it almost feels like Squanto is put here 
uh, in this in this place at this point in time to to instruct the pilgrims to give them the tools that they need to live and to survive and to uh, just to create essentially the foundation for what would become the United States of America. And it, it, it all rests squarely on the shoulders of this one man, Squanto. Uh, all right, we're, we're running up against the break. So I want to pick up his story on the other side, but his story is, it's fascinating. Uh, and, and, and you can look at it from two lenses. You know, the one lens you can look at it and you can say the things that happened to Squanto were horrible. The Europeans were just horrible. And the things that, you know, the things that, that that befell him and the things that they did to him, the evil white Europeans. And, you know, as we get into the story, you're going to see that there's a lot of truth in that. But the other lens that you can put on is that, uh, you know, while bad things happen to Squanto, Squanto overcomes. As Squanto is not bitter. Matter of fact, Squanto uses the things that have befallen him, and he turns them into wisdom and knowledge. And he allows himself to be an aid to a group of people who have who have arrived and taken up the land uh, where his village once stood, and he decides he's going to help them. And in doing so, Squanto, we could say that Squanto single-handedly, could, could we do that, that Squanto single-handedly saved the pilgrims and therefore he is the reason for America? I mean, you could. You could probably say that about a lot of people. But his story is fascinating. We're going to jump into it on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List. Thank you for joining me for History Week on America Out Loud Talk Radio. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discussed the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. 
Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to The Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are listening to History Week on America Out Loud Talk Radio, the history of the pilgrims, the history of Thanksgiving. You know, we, we, we talk about it here all the time, that actual history is important. It is it's important to our future because if we know if we know where we came from, if we know and understand the the philosophy that our founders had, the philosophy, the, the foundational beliefs of our founding, if we understand what that is, then we get a clear picture of the purpose of America. And we can get a clear picture of the, the purpose of our future as a country. You know, there, there was a purpose here. I don't believe that it just randomly happened on its own. Uh, my personal belief is, is there was a God-ordained purpose behind the formation of this country. It, it's the only place on the planet that affords the freedoms that it does. I mean, there are there are places that are that have varying degrees of freedom, but the freedoms that America offers are the the foundation of of its existence. The the Declaration uh, was obviously was and and is the centerpiece of that foundation when Jefferson said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and in that time that was not a belief that all men were created equal uh, the king believed that he you know was created to sit on the throne of god and and he was he was over and above everybody else. And it was King James who said, uh, you know, that he uh, he controlled the lives and the deaths of everybody, of his citizens, of, of his subjects, that as king, he sat on the throne of God and he was in charge of life and death. You know, he was, uh, he's God's emissary here on earth and, and he, and he's in charge and he's over everybody. And he is over over everybody simply because of his birth. And therefore, we weren't created equal in, in, in his view. Well, the pilgrims had a different take. And when their when their pastor sent them off from the shores of England, he said to them, We're all kings. In the eyes of God, we're all kings. No, but somebody's going to have to take the lead. You're going to have to set up a government and somebody's going to have to be in charge. But he made it clear to them, we're all kings. We are created equal. Everybody in the eyes of God uh, is a king and a priest. And, you know, the Bible's clear about that. And this this is the, the historical perspective 
that we teach at Waterbrook Christian Academy, we believe it's accurate. There are, uh, you know, we use the original source documents. We just, you know, we 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 don't want to to make stuff up. We um, we want the history to be accurate, and 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 we want it to be actual history. <laughs> you know, something that's true. We want to teach this generation truth. You know, they they they're in uh, all of them. They're on a search for truth. And Waterbrook is a place where where we have this opportunity to be on this quest for truth with them, and we want to go after things that are true and things that are good and things that are beautiful. And if you want to support such an endeavor, you are welcome to support us. We we have people who support us financially. As a school, uh, our, our support comes from tuition, and it comes from from fundraising. You know, but there are people that uh, have the ability to to maybe give ten dollars a month. You know, maybe twenty five a month, maybe fifty a month. I mean, it's not a lot. We we don't have we don't have big time donors. We don't have people dropping, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on us. It's you know we're out here getting it done, and you know there are people that give ten bucks, ten bucks every month. There are people that give twenty five bucks every month. Uh, you know, it varies. I mean, if if you have the ability and you want to support quality education that is going after what is true and what is good and what is beautiful and the things that this country was founded on, we would love to have your support. It's really simple. You just go to waterbrookca.org and uh, right there on the homepage, there, there is a link to, to support for Giving Tuesday, which is coming up in just a couple of days. Or you can go to the support page and, you know, there's ways that you can support there. It's it's secure. You can find secure links. We need, uh, we need schools to crop up all over the country. You know, schools of this sort that just, that want to teach truth. You know, schools that aren't interested in teaching lies, but are, are that are true places of education that go after uh, the 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 honest things and and that's what I feel like our kids need to be raised in and I know you feel that way too you wouldn't be a part of this audience if you didn't feel that way you wouldn't be listening to America out loud if you didn't feel that way so I know you do all right uh well if I'm gonna get history lesson over today you know if we're gonna get through this then we need to j- jump at it so we left off with the pilgrims, you know, meeting Squanto, and here this man is, and and he speaks English, and he has the ability to to show them uh, and, and teach them how to thrive in this new land, how to hunt, how to fish, how to raise crops. I mean, Squanto is literally, um, he is single handedly bailing these guys out. Uh, Squanto was more prepared than any other individual anywhere in the world to help the pilgrims survive. His story is amazing. He certainly knew uh, the new world, for it was his world. That's where he lived. He could teach the pilgrims how to live in it. But Squanto also knew the old world. He knew Europe. He knew England. And he also understood the thinking and the habits of these people. 
he was probably one of the only living individuals at that time who could have effectively bridged the gap between two cultures and two worlds. And all of the places he could have been, he was right there where the pilgrims were, on the spot where they where they needed him the most, right there, right there where they landed. And here is Squanto. You know, how does this just happen? I mean, th these are the types of things that, that I look back and I think, all right, this was providence. I think the hand of God was involved in this. The backstory of Squanto is just, uh, it's fascinating, it's amazing, it's interesting. It was 1614, so the, the pilgrims don't show up until 1620. In 1614, uh, there was a a British captain by the name of Thomas Hunt. And his ship was among a group of vessels that were exploring New England. When the other ships departed, Hunt remained behind with his crew, and Hunt kidnapped 27 Indians, one of whom was Squanto. And he took them to Spain and began selling them as slaves. So Hunt is not a good guy. He's a bad guy. Uh, and uh, you know, when my cousin Kelly and I were tracing our, our lineage back, my grandmother's maiden name is Hunt. And we traced it back to a guy named Thomas Hunt. And I just, oh, man, I hope our lineage doesn't go to this guy. But it looks like it might. He's a bad guy. But you know what? Probably in all of our, our lineage, we've got we, we've got a bad guy somewhere. Uh, Cindy's like, you, you come from, from bad guys on both sides of your family. Because on my mom's side, the, the lineage goes back to some, some scoundrels. You know, but we probably all do. And, and and here we are, I guess, by the grace of God. Uh, so Hunt, he's not a good guy. He, he kidnaps 27 Indians, one of whom is Squanto. He took them to Spain and began selling them as slaves. However, some Catholics, uh, some Catholic priests and friars learned what was happening, and they intervened. They bought Squanto and the remaining Indians, and then they freed them and introduced them to Christianity. So here are the good guys. The good guys come along, they buy the Indians, and, and they teach them the ways of Christ. They set them free, uh, and, and they teach them about Christianity. At that time, the Catholics had a number of societies that worked to free slaves, whether they were Native, uh, American, African, Black, White, Christian, Pagan. I mean, the, the Muslims had a huge Christian slave trade going at that time. And the Catholics were the number one, uh, they were the number one entity that was working to set the slaves free. So they did this for Squanto. From Spain, Squanto worked his way to England, where he remained for five years, thoroughly learning the English language and customs. So he, he takes advantage of this time. The man's not bitter. He's not, woe is me. You know, what has the great spirit done to me? I'm going to be upset. I'm going to, uh-uh. No, he's there. And he starts learning. He learns the culture. He learns the language. And in 1619, he returned to his home in New England with Captain Thomas Dermer. So talk about the 1619 project. I wonder how come the 1619 project doesn't talk about Squanto. You know, uh, they should. I mean, if you're talking 1619, let's talk Squanto. I mean, yes, he was captured by a bad guy. 
who might be an ancestor of mine. And 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 the bad guy, you know, sells him to in, in Spain, but he sells him to Catholics, Christians, who set him free and and teach him Christianity and 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 help him along. I mean, that's the 1619 project. That's the good and the bad of it. So he comes back to America with Captain Thomas Dermer. On his arrival, Squanto discovered that a plague had killed his entire tribe. So if 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 Squanto is not captured by Thomas Hunt, there's this verse in the Bible that says, what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. And it's in reference to Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, taken down to, into Egypt and sold into slavery by his brothers. And what, what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. And Joseph ends up uh, having dreams that that are filled with with plans to save the people from a coming famine, and he does that, saves the entire country, really the the entire region, you know, because people came from all over to Egypt because that was the only place left that had food. And there's something similar happening here. You know what Satan intended for evil, perhaps in the life of Squanto, you know, being sold into slavery. God intended for good, because if Squanto is not sold, he's still he stays with his tribe, and the plague is going to wipe him out right along with everyone else. But it doesn't wipe him out because he's not there. So he he comes back to America, and he realizes his entire tribe is gone. He's the last member left alive. No longer having a people, Squanto joined himself to the neighboring Wampanoag group. So he, he joins up with Massasoit. When the pilgrims unexpectedly arrived the following year, he saw how woefully unprepared they were for the new land, and he knew he could help. He knew he could help these English newcomers. I mean, he knew how they operated. He lived with them for five years, and yet he knew how to, to get from the land the things needed in order to survive. Uh, so he knows that 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 he can offer them help. Everything he had experienced, all the tragedies that had beset him, they had prepared him for this very moment. And I happen to believe by the providence of God that Squanto now had a unique purpose for life. He would see that the pilgrims survived at the place where his tribe had not. What, what, what Satan intended for evil. In the life of Squanto, God met for good. With Squanto's help, the pilgrims harvested sufficient food for their upcoming second winter. They had no surplus, but things definitely looked much better than they had the preceding year when half of their group had died. Governor William Bradford therefore appointed a day of thanksgiving, for they had much for which to be grateful for. They now had a place where they could freely worship God. They had survived their first year in the wilderness of New England, and with Squanto's help, they had reaped a good harvest. Grateful for these blessings, the pilgrims invited their Wapanog neighbors to celebrate and give thanks to God with them. Chief Massasoit and some 90 of his men came and feasted with the remaining pilgrims. The pilgrims and their Indian neighbors dined on deer, turkey, fish, lobster, eels even. You probably never thought of eel as a as a thanksgiving dinner 
vegetables, cornbread, herbs, berries, and pies. They also engaged in athletic competition, including running, wrestling, and shooting. Chief Massasoit enjoyed himself so much that he and his men stayed with the pilgrims for three days. So, of course, the left and the Marxists produce a common narrative uh, that says the Indians hated the colonists because of their land-grabbing practices and general racist disdain for the natives. That's what we hear. You just want to come and steal our land and you're racist. Uh, but we know that's not true. And and we see this in the first Thanksgiving, which which shows this claim to be illogical. It shows it to be completely unfounded. After all, the 53 remaining pilgrims that lived were comprised of four women, 14 young boys and girls, 13 infants and young children, and only 22 men. On the other hand, the 90 Indians were all warriors. If there had been ill will, the Indians could have eliminated the pilgrims in a matter of minutes, without even blinking an eye. But they didn't do that. And the reason they didn't is because they were friends. The pilgrims' story is one of many demonstrating that modern portrayals of the early colonists are very often inaccurate. By the way, this was not the first Thanksgiving in America. There had been several others prior to this one, but only on occasions of prayer. And, you know, we, we mentioned those a few days ago. This pilgrim event birthed the tradition of Thanksgiving as a time that includes not only prayer, but also feasting and athletic events and just spending time with friends and family, being grateful and being thankful for the things that we have. And that's um, that's what Thanksgiving is all about. Being prayerfully grateful and thankful for the many blessings of God. And that's why they met. That's why they feasted. That's why they invited the Indians. Come and celebrate with us. Let's be grateful and thankful together the way they had learned in, in Leeton, in Holland. Love this story. All right, there's more to it, though. We're not done. We'll pick it up on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news 
delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are listening to History Week on America Out Loud Talk Radio, the history of Thanksgiving, the history of the pilgrims, and it is a rich history. It is, uh, it's full of despair. Uh, it's, it's full of, of intrigue. It's, it's full of hope. It's full of life. Uh, the backstory of the, of the characters involved is, it's rich, and it just, Makes for a good movie. I'm telling you, it makes for a good movie. But this Squanto, this Squanto character, this this Indian who who shows up, who speaks fluent English and but knows the land and knows how the pilgrims operate. Uh, he's a godsend. He's an absolute godsend, and and he teaches them, teaches them all the things that they need to know to survive. And then uh, after their first year, they celebrate with a feast. They invite Chief Massasoit and, and his warriors, even though they've lost half of their company, they, they still celebrate life. These people aren't full of bitterness. They're not, they're not angry at God. They're not angry at each other. They're, they're not full of blame. They're full of gratefulness. And they want to share in that gratefulness and that Thanksgiving with, with Chief Massasoit and his men. Uh, and so shortly after this huge, glorious Thanksgiving celebration, uh, winter, sets, winter sets in, their second winter. Uh, 35 new settlers unexpectedly arrive. Their family and friends, they were probably on that the, 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 the speed well the first time when they could not get uh, the speed well to, to leave port a year earlier. They had to leave some people behind. Well, here they are a year later, and 35 of them show up. Uh, the pilgrims gladly welcomed them, but unfortunately, the new group brought no provisions with them. No, you know, no food, uh, you know, not a lot of supplies. Uh, but the pilgrims freely shared their own food, their own clothing, and their homes. But with the new arrivals, the remaining winter supplies were essentially cut in half per person. It was difficult. But thanks to Squanto's help, they now better knew how to live in the New England wilderness. And, you know, they survived. When spring finally came, their provisions were almost completely gone. On the horizon, they they spied a boat. And they're thinking, all right, here, here comes some supplies. Finally, the English company that's sponsoring us, that they're sending uh, provisions. But that wasn't the case. On board were just, you know, more hungry people. That summer, another 60 men would show up. Many were sick, but the pilgrims again gladly took care of them. They stayed all summer and eventually left, having depleted the pilgrims' meager supplies and expressing 
no gratitude for their help. I mean, this is written down. This is documented. These guys show up. They're sick. Pilgrims take care of them. They eat the pilgrims' food. And then after summer, they leave. Zero gratitude. Yet the pilgrims continued to put their trust in God, and no one starved. Although there were many days when, as Governor Bradford acknowledged, quote, they had need to pray that God would give them their daily bread above all people in the world. I mean, that this, it was a, a day-by-day thing. But now being able to grow crops and hunt, thanks to Squanto, they survived. Squanto had taught them how to live with the land rather than against it. And his pilgrim students, well, they learned their lesson well. After two years under the tutelage of Squanto, much to their sorrow, their friend and mentor became mortally ill. Squanto was passing from this world to the next. Uh, he had a message for Governor Bradford, and this is what uh, William Bradford writes, quote, desired for me to pray for him, that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. He bequeathed sundry of this things to sundry of his English friends. I'm sorry. He bequeathed sundry of his things to sundry of his English friends. So he bequeathed a lot of his things to a lot of English friends as remembrances of his love, of whom they had a great loss. Do you think we hear about that in the 1619 Project? Do you think we hear that upon Squanto's deathbed, he willed much of his belongings to his English friends? And he asked Bradford to pray for him that he, upon his death, would go to the English God. And he, and, and he gave the things to his English friends, according to Bradford, as remembrance of his love, of whom they had a great loss. So the love was mutual. It means Squanto loved the pilgrims, and the pilgrims loved Squanto. Without Squanto, the story of the pilgrims might have been quite different, ending in tragedy rather than success. Bradford openly acknowledged that Squanto was a special instrument sent of God for our good. That's what he says in his writings. Quote, Squanto was a special instrument sent of God for our good. That's what Bradford believed. That's what the pilgrims believed. They believed that, that, that Squanto had a mission to save them. That they believed that the hand of God was involved in this entire meeting, really involved in Squanto's life from beginning to end. And if, if that is true, and I personally believe it is, then we, we can point back to Squanto a Native American who essentially helped in founding this nation. He helped in getting it established. After coming out of slavery, this man helped establish the greatest country on earth. Ah, I love the story of Squanto. Absolutely love it. Unfortunately, one of the initial problems for the pilgrims uh, was that they practiced a form of socialism. Did you know this? Did you know we tried socialism and it was tried by the pilgrims? The fruits of their labor were put into a common pot and split among all. 
it didn't take long for those inclined to laziness to find that this was a system that suited them well, because laziness is a system that suits socialism. Oh, man, if you want other people to do your bidding and you just, you know, you can just uh, exist off of their work, then be a socialist. These individuals could receive provisions without working. The result was inefficiency, non-productivity, and injustice, because that's what socialism brings. It brings those three things and almost in that order. Inefficiency, non-productivity, and injustice. According to Governor Bradford, those who promoted socialism thought, quote, they were wiser than God. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's the those were his words, but the experience proved that they were not. Uh-uh. So the interesting thing here, we haven't talked about Jamestown very much, is that they also had earlier adopted socialism and it had been disastrous there as well. Their governor, John Smith, uh stated that the failing system it was just pathetic and uh he fought it uh, by citing the biblical principles that if anyone is not willing to work then he is not willing to eat either this is from the book of second thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10 that's what john smith told those guys in jamestown you're not willing to work, then guess what? You're not going to eat either. Those Virginia colonists rejected that guidance, however, and flatly refused to work. Uh-huh. But in Plymouth, however, the pilgrims learned the Bible's teachings and they embraced them, including 1 Timothy 5 and 8, which says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Uh, but the pilgrims, you know, they understood the Bible. Uh, the, the the Christians in Jamestown didn't really understand the Bible. They were more of the Anglican variety. They were the Church of England, and they didn't really read the Bible. They didn't really involve it in their lives. The pilgrims read it. The pilgrims involved it in their lives. And when they read verses like, like 1 Timothy 5 and 8, then they took it to heart. They applied this principle, and they essentially saved the, the colony from socialism. You know, once once Squanto was gone, then they just, you know, they, they're like, well, let's become socialists. Uh, and then they went back to the Bible to realize that was not the approach. The biblical focus on individual rights and responsibilities is a core element of the free market system, especially the requirement that every person provide for his own family, not that of someone else. Oh, evil capitalists. Oh, the capitalists are so evil. No, no, they just believe that you you provide for yourself. You make yourself great again. Instead of, you know, I mean, the, the theme of make America great again is America first. Let's focus on America. A rising tide lifts all boats. And we should also have that for ourselves individually. It's not selfish. It's, it's make yourself great again and let the, that rising tide of yourself lift all the boats around you. Clearly, everyone did not have the same skill set. One person might have been an excellent barrel maker, while another was a noted cobbler, shoemaker. There, there might have been superb hunters among, among them or remarkable blacksmiths. But because each had a particular skill by which he could provide for his own family, the blacksmith might take a pair of, of, of hinges he, he made and exchange it for, for maybe two turkeys shot by the hunter. 
and the cobbler then might trade a pair of shoes for a barrel in which to keep potatoes. Each was providing for his own household, for his own family, by his own handiwork. And having different individual skills, they were able to, to buy, to barter, to trade with others for everything that they needed. Citizens knew what they wanted and how much they were willing to exchange for it. And it all occurred without undue interference by the governor. Applying biblical principles, the pilgrims began to move away from the socialist style of farming they had practiced at their arrival. They adopted an early free market individual approach, assigning every family their own personal parcel of land. You know, because of that, there was just one parcel and everybody would go to work it. And then everybody would share in what was worked. And you've got healthy people that are thinking, why am I going to work, you know, for this guy? I, I'm not doing it. And then the healthy weren't even going to work. And it was it was it was creating a mess because uh, it it would it creates laziness. If you're not working for your own, you're out there working for someone else, then bitterness can set in. You're like, why am I working for this guy? Why am I working for this lady's husband who is not working? Of the new free market system, here's what Governor Bradford said. This had very good success, for it made all hands very industrious. So as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could use, and gave far better content. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before would, uh, you know, they they would fake or they would pretend weakness or inability. Oh, I, I can't go to work today. I'm sorry. I mean, because they knew someone else was going to go and, and they were still going to eat. I'm just so weak. I'm so tired. I can't do it. Well, when Governor Bradford said, all right, everybody, you get your own piece of land and you work it. And whatever comes off that land, you get to eat. Oh, wow, what a difference. I mean, that's going to create some workers right there. Once the pilgrims began abandoning socialism and adopting the individual free enterprise model, their productivity dramatically increased and abundance began to emerge among them. They were able to directly benefit from their own hard work and the fruit of their personal labors. And they planted seven times more than they had only two years earlier. That's what Bradford wrote. Seven times more. They've got an abundance of food. This is mm, this is free market kids, free market capitalism. And, uh, it, you know, the, the pilgrims had to experience it on their own. They tried socialism first and realized it was not producing what they wanted it to produce. It was creating laziness. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't getting it done. But free market capitalism, let people work their own land. Uh, the pilgrims finally had high hopes for an abundant crop. But as is often the case, things did not go as planned. And here's what Bradford said about it. The Lord seemed to blast and take away the crops and to threaten further and more sore famine unto them by a great drought, which continued from the third week in May till about the middle of July, without any rain and with great heat, for the most part, insomuch as the corn began to wither away. In response to this unexpected drought, Bradford reported in his, in his journal, here's what he said, they set apart a solemn day of humiliation, to seek the Lord by humble and fervent prayer in this great distress, 
and he was pleased to give them a gracious and speedy answer, both to their own and the Indians' admiration that lived among them. For all the morning and greatest part of the day, it was clear weather and very hot, and not a cloud or any sign of rain to be seen. Yet toward evening it began to overcast, and shortly after to rain with such sweet and gentle showers as gave them cause of rejoicing and blessing God. It came without either wind or thunder or any violence, and by degrees in that abundance, as that the earth was thoroughly wet and soaked therewith, which did so apparently revive and quicken the decayed corn and other fruits, as was wonderful to see, and made the Indians astonished to behold. An Indian named Habamak witnessed this event, and here's what is noted that he said to the pilgrims. Now I see that the Englishman's God is a good God, for he hath heard you and sent you rain, and that without storms and tempests and thunder, which usually we have with our rain, which breaks down our corn, but yours stands whole and good and still. Surely your God is a good God. Ah, uh, I mean, just there's so much rich story here. And we can find it by, by mining the original documents. The rains rejuvenated the dying crops, and the harvest of 1623 brought plenty to each person. With the more industrious pilgrims even having ex access to, to sell, they once again set aside a of time of thanksgiving to God. They, they said, we gotta, we got to be thankful to God. Significantly, from the time the pilgrims began adopting a biblical economic system, no general want ever again existed among them. And that biblical system is capitalism. It's it's everyone uh, making the attempt to make themselves better. The story and history of the pilgrims is so rich. There's so much more to dive into, but I think we accomplished the task this week. I think we did. I I I think we 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 gave you an accurate. Well, I know we did. We gave you an accurate version of the history of of the pilgrims and the history of Thanksgiving, and it's one that's rich. And I encourage you go to original documents, look it up yourselves. Uh, buy the American story in the treacherous world of the 16th century from David Barton and William Federer. All right, that's all the time we have for today, America. Thank you for joining me today and this week during History Week. Invite your friends and family to get on the Beans list. Let's unite to renovate the age.